Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of James, the third chapter. We've been teaching in the book of James, and we're down to the 13th verse in the third chapter, which is another division and another section of what we've been teaching. This is the last section in the third chapter. It has to do with holy works through heavenly wisdom. You know, you better do God's works through his wisdom. Because uh, if we try to do it with worldly wisdom, one of the things that has ruined churches today, they try to do holy works through worldly wisdom. And that's the end of it. If you get a bunch of people in the church that want to go after the wisdom of this world to try to promote holy and spiritual things, I can guarantee you it'll just never work. And a lot of times that's where churches are today. They get a a lot of folks in the church that that are worldly-minded, and they say, well, let's do this, you know, acting as if it's a a holy and godly work, but it stems from worldly wisdom, and it will never work. And that's why you have a lot of confusion in churches, because especially in non-denominational and interdenominational churches, you get all kinds of people with all kinds of ideas. One of them wants to do one thing one way, and one wants to do another thing another way, and they all get the idea that any way you do it is all right as long as you have the right uh, end in view. And the means doesn't matter, but uh, the means, the end doesn't justify the means to be used. The means in God's work is spiritual and holy and divine, and it comes from God's Word and God's Holy Spirit. And you just can't do it any way to please yourselves. And uh, I know a lot of people do, and they seem to uh, prosper in it sometimes and get by with it. But that's where it stems from. In fact, in a lot of our fundamental Baptist churches, which I'm ashamed to say, they've used a lot of worldly means to promote works and holy works. And I'm not for it. And that's why I guess that I'm called independent. <laughs> and that's why I guess that we have a small church instead of a large one. But be that as it may, I'd rather stick with the truth and stick with God's Word than to have the church overflowing. And that's what I intend to do. I hope it's filled. I'd love to see it filled. But I want it... I want to see it filled with godly people that do godly things in God's way and not in the world's way, not in the way of, of this world and the, uh, the things that are used to promote worldly things. You know, a lot of hot dog parties and a lot of various uh, things going on might get a few more people in church, but that doesn't mean that they'd stay after you get through with them. And so that's not my way of doing and I think that the Bible bears out the stand I take. So let's look at this and see and what it says. In verse 13, now by the way, when we come down to chapter 4, we'll give you some new titles for various sections and divisions of the fourth chapter. But right now, let's look at the third chapter, beginning with verse 13. And verses 13 through 18 is this last division of this chapter, and it it has to do with holy works through heavenly wisdom. It says in verse 13, Who is a wise man? and endued with knowledge among you. So evidently he expected among the Christians there to be men of wisdom. And men of wisdom had to be endued with knowledge. Remember, Brother Randy preached last Wednesday night uh, where wisdom comes from. It comes from knowledge. And knowledge comes from what? The Word of God. And uh, by the way, knowledge is the possession of facts and truth, but wisdom is the proper use and application of the knowledge. A lot of people know things, but they do not know, know how to apply it and use it. And the wisdom is the application of that knowledge, how to apply that knowledge. I remember one time as, as a young, after I'd gotten out of the service, they had several GI programs, veterans programs, that would provide you certain education, certain schooling. I took a merchandising course down here at Rio Dosa Downs for a 
general mercantile, and I took that and then went over to Oklahoma, and uh, they had a, an agricultural course, and I took that agricultural course. And even after studying all that was in the books, I couldn't do the things these farmers that had the wisdom to apply that knowledge they'd received because they, they know how to properly apply the knowledge of those facts. And it's the same thing in spiritual things. You can have the knowledge of God's Word and not know how to apply that to your own heart and life. And so heavenly wisdom promotes that. And so it says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? There's a necessity to be endued with knowledge, but there's also the ability to apply that knowledge and to use that knowledge by the wisdom that you receive. It says, Let him show out of, out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. Now then, what's he supposed to do? The man with this kind of heavenly wisdom, divine wisdom, uh, and having the proper knowledge, let him show, in other words, apply it and use it. Look, how is he going to use it? Fix your eyes to verse 13. Let him show out of a good conversation. Now, it's not just a matter of speech. It's not just the speech or language that the word conversation refers to. Conversation has to do with more than that. It has to do with the manner of life or conduct of life. Let him show by how he lives, by his whole conduct of life, uh, his works, with what? With meekness and wisdom. In other words, with modesty. Let him be able to apply, to have the knowledge and to apply it by a wise walk or conversation or conduct of life with modesty, with meekness of wisdom. You know, sometimes knowledge puffs up and people that know how to use that knowledge are puffed up and think they know everything. And we're all guilty of trying to have a little ego trip once in a while, which we need to guard against, because if, when we get through with James, especially in the fourth chapter, we'll see that he puts that down right away, doesn't he? Because uh, we know nothing that uh, we have not received from someone else. Uh, we got it somewhere, and whatever we know, we didn't have it without learning and studying and someone else contributing to that knowledge that you received and so we're nothing by ourselves it says no man liveth unto himself and no man dieth unto himself so the word modesty fits in here pretty good it says let him show out of a good conversation that is conduct of life his works the works that he does with meekness or modesty of wisdom now in verse 14 it says but if you have now look but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts glory not and lie not against the truth. God is not satisfied or not pleased uh, with this kind of a bitter envying. person may be knowledgeable and have bitter envying. The motivation and the inside of a, of a being has to do with the outside of the application of wisdom. So he says, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above. It doesn't come from above, but it's earthly. It is sensual and devilish. Three terms that describe the wisdom that is not from above. The wisdom that comes from above is different. And we'll see in verse 17 what the wisdom from above really is. But the wisdom that is from beneath, or worldly wisdom, what is it? It's earthly, worldly. It's uh, the wisdom of this world. It's not the wisdom of God. And we've already remarked how that many try to, to do spiritual things with worldly wisdom. And earthly and essential 
and it's devilish. And a lot of the worldly wisdom is for the sake of just winning in words, a, a war of words. You know, there have been many people that have won the war of words when, wherein they have done it so to subdue those that, are, that have even a godly wisdom. And you know, it's nothing for a person to win an argument. Some people are just in the habit of trying to win an argument. Some people are just studying to know in order to win an argument. You ever seen uh, and heard of uh, preachers having debates about certain things? And it seems like before they get through, now listen carefully, they're at one another's throats so much that you wonder if it's Christian ministers or demons possessing them by the time they get through. And that's why I hesitate to even argue at all with those of, of even religious cults and sects because they, they stir up a little anger inside of me because they won't listen to, to the word of truth. That's why I have a problem uh, talking to the Jehovah's Witnesses because they want to start an argument. And you know, we're all subject to let them get that started. And uh, th that's the, where we should cut it off is right at the beginning. Say, look, folks, I don't want to argue with you because it'll end up in one before you're through if you take your stand for the Lord. And you know, we need not, the Bible says the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. And it's hard to be gentle when people will not listen to the truth. And I have a great difficulty. You may not have, but I do. Because I take my uh, convictions from what the Word of God says, and if a fellow won't listen to that, as far as I'm concerned, he's unreasonable. Because God is a God of reason, and God is a God of truth. And when we quote a scripture and then they try to make light of it and twist it around to, mean, uh, to try to say it doesn't mean that, it means something else, when it's written in plain English, most of us can understand the English language. You know if I'm telling you the truth tonight, it's written, it's right before your eyes. I don't have to uh, try to twist it to mean something else because it's there, isn't it? And so you look at it and see for yourself. It says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth, this wisdom descendeth not from above. It's not godly wisdom, but it is earthly and sensual, and he says devilish. And devilishness is behind a lot of debates and arguings of people. And in verse 16 it tells us of what comes of it. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Confusion, strife. Envying and strife, there is confusion. When you have envying among uh, professed Christians or in churches, and you will have strife, and you'll also have confusion. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. You can just make sure that it's from below instead of above, if this kind of thing exists. When there's confusion in the church, there's something wrong. God is not in it. You say, well, where is God? It doesn't mean he's forsaken the house of God, but he's not in that confusion that's being stirred up or that strife that's being stirred up or that envying that's being stirred up. He has nothing whatsoever to do with it. It's of man and it's of... You know, the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention in the Proverbs. Only by pride. If it means what, it, what I believe it means is what it says, that there's no other way that, pride, that contention can come except there's pride behind it somewhere in someone's heart or in some part of the situation that arises there has to be pride as the root matter of the evil that is coming and we say well I don't know who's proud we've got contention in a church you know maybe a local congregation has contention somewhere beneath it there's pride pride of heart in some individuals or maybe in several individuals doesn't mean it's confined to just one source it may be working both directions but this kind of stuff is is a uh, 
is a ending and strife and there is confusion and every evil work. There comes a lot of evil from that kind of action in a church. And then it says in verse 17, but look, here's the wisdom that is from above. But the wisdom that is from above, contrasted to what we've just been talking about. First of all, it's first of all, first pure, then peaceable. Purity of heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. And then he said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? You don't, you're not peacemakers unless you're pure of heart. The peacemakers comes from the, from the idea that first of all, you have to be at peace with God and with your fellow man. Then you can be a peacemaker. And it comes from purity of heart. For the wisdom that is from above is first, what? First, above all, and taking first place, pure. It is pure. And it says, then peaceable. We're to be peacemakers as Christians. Jesus says, blessed, happy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The vision is God, pure in heart. For they shall what? See, uh, purity sees God. We're quoting from Matthew 5, the Beatitudes now. But what I'm saying is, and then the peacemakers. Unless you are at peace with yourself and at peace with God, you can't be a peacemaker with the brethren. If you're at odds with God, and then you're at odds with yourself, and then you're at odds with a brother, there's three counts against you right there. Three strikes and you're out, right? So then, how can you be a peacemaker? So it says, uh, first pure, then peaceable, and what? Gentle and easy to be entreated, easy to get along with. Now then, sometimes we become hard to get along with when we let the flesh flare up, or when we let selfishness flare up, or our own, you know, we, we're all subject to claiming our own rights, aren't we? I don't want what's right for me. You know, I've had arguments with people or discussions with people, and I want to insist upon what's right. And yet, on the other hand, I find that even though something may be right in itself, it doesn't mean that it's uh, best. There's a lot of things that are right that are not always best for us because we seem to have our own way in getting our rights. Jesus didn't get his rights, did he? Certainly didn't. Oh, Pilate was in a dilemma when he came to finding out about Jesus, he said, well, I see nothing wrong with this man. I find no fault in this man. And yet Jesus didn't get his rights because the judge didn't have the conviction to say, this man is right, let him alone and turn him loose and set him free. But rather he yielded to the popularity of the situation, the cry of the crowd. He wanted to clear himself. He says, wash my hands and I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. He said, my wife was troubled by in a dream said, uh, don't have anything to do with him because I uh, have nothing to do with this just man. She knew he was innocent, and so did Pilate know he was innocent. So anyway, regardless of that, we cannot always on, insist upon our rights. We can talk to people about what is right and wrong. We can express to them, but we must do it in a gentle, proper way and easy to be entreated. And most of the time, most of us get rather worked up about our own privileges and rights, don't we? And it says... With full of mercy. Doesn't say just have mercy, but be full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality, being not partial. And it says, and without hypocrisy. Not professing one thing and then doing something else. We ought to do what we profess to do. Be better for us not to profess than to do something the opposite, wouldn't it? And the fruit of righteousness, now look, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You know, the law of harvest has just as much to do with the 
the good things as it does the bad things. Someone says that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. Well, we say, yeah. But then the Bible says, he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. They that sow, uh, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace uh, of them that make peace. Now then, uh, it's going to return to you. If you're a troublemaker, you're going to have trouble come to you. If you're a peacemaker, you'll have peace come to you. You see, it all works out. So what are you going to do? How are you going to live your life? Always at odds with someone? Always uh, in a controversy? Always uh, putting people down? Always arguing? Always making trouble? Always causing problems? Is that your attitude of life? Or is your attitude to try to, to learn to, as Paul said in one place, as much as is possible, let us live peaceably with all men. He didn't say it was always possible, but he says as much as is possible. In other words, make an effort to it anyway. God may do you wrong, and you can treat him right, but that doesn't mean you want to say, come on, fellow, let's go fishing next Sunday, right? Kind of like the old guy is out on the lake fishing on Sunday morning, you know, he and his buddy. And one of them said, well, what would you be doing if you wasn't out here fishing? He says, well, I, I'd be in church. I should be in church if I wasn't out here fishing. Another one said, I couldn't be there anyway. My wife's homesick. <laughs> That's the way they look at it a lot of times, too. But anyway, we find that uh, peacemaking, the fruit of righteousness, is sown in peace of them that make peace. Having said all this, does this mean that Christians shouldn't contend for the faith, shouldn't have some bit of contention? It, it tells us to contend for the faith. Jude 3. Let's get the idea now. Look back at verse 14. It says, But if you have bitter envying, envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Does that mean that people should surrender everything and not even take a stand for God? No, it doesn't mean that. Jude says that we should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. doesn't mean we should compromise our convictions just for the sake of getting along. We ought to do our very best to try to get along. But that's Jude verse 3. And then Paul says in Philippians 1.27, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There's needs to be striving on the part of the Christian. And then it says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, holding the form of sound words. We need to hold to the form of sound words. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Don't be tossed about by every kind of teaching, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But he says, but speaking the truth, now what? in love, that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You can speak the truth and do it in love, right? And you can take your stand and not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine as children that are tossed about, and you can be more mature and not be deceived by uh, the doctrines of false teachings and carried about by the slight of men whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but you're to speak the truth in love. And that's what God's people are supposed to do. But it doesn't mean they're not, to, not supposed to, as we're teaching from James, it doesn't mean they're not supposed to take their stand for the faith and contend for the faith and strive for the faith. We've given you references to show you different. We're to earnestly contend for the faith. Philippians 1.27, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, holding fast the form of sound words. And in this passage, not to toss to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but contrary, we're to speak the truth in love. And so st take your stand for the truth. And just because it speaks of meekness back here in James, 
It doesn't mean that, that it's weakness. It means that you are uh, modest, that you're, you have your feelings and your emotions under control, and you're relying totally and completely upon the Word of God and the guidance from God's Word and God's Holy Spirit. And this is the wisdom which is from above. It's, first of all, pure. God's Word is pure. If, you stick, if you're going to be pure, you're going to have to be, realize that the Word of God is pure. Let me give you some references. Psalm 119, verse 140. Psalm 119 and verse 140. I want you to notice what this says here quickly. Verse 140. It says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. The Bible says that every word of God, in Proverbs, every word of God is pure, and he is a shield to them that put their trust in him. Every word of God. So if we're to be pure in our dealings, verse 17, back in James now, 317, and then peaceable, we're going to have to be purified by the Word of God. Our, the Word is pure, our life is pure, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and then blessed are the peacemakers. All right? Now then, in the fourth chapter of James, James chapter 4, the first section has to do with strife through selfishness. That's verses 1 through 6. Strife is through selfishness. That's the title for those six verses. I'll give you the whole chapter as far as the titles are concerned. And then you have security through submission. That's verses 7 through 10. Security through submission. And then, then you have backsliding through backbiting. And that's verses 11 and 12. Backsliding through backbiting. Verse 11 and 12. And then you have sinning through sidestepping God. Leaving God out. Sinning through sidestepping God. That's verses 13 through 17. I'll repeat these four sections now if you want to get them. Strive through selfishness, verses 1 through 6. Security through submission, verses 7 through 10. Backsliding through backbiting, verses 11 and 12. And then sinning through sidestepping God, verses 13 through 17. We'll look at this first section of the fourth chapter now, if you will. He says in verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? By the way, the word you refers to the brethren. You Christians, you brothers. He's talked about brethren from time to time. We read it in verse, uh, let's see where we can find it. Where he says, brethren, these things, ought, uh, verse 10 of the third chapter, he says, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, there he says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. See that in 3 verse 10, my brethren. And now when he's talking in 4 verse 1, he says, he's still talking to brethren. From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Among you, brethren. Christians have wars and fightings among them. Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? You see, we still have that old carnal nature, do we not? And it wars in our members. We have the carnal nature fighting against the spiritual nature in our lives. And the spirit against the flesh, right? The Holy Spirit against the flesh. And the wars come from within, from that evil nature. And the fightings come from within, that evil nature. And it doesn't mean that just because you have the Holy Spirit in you, that there's not another conflicting interest, point of interest there, that's trying to overcome the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It means that there's still a warfare going on. If you turn to Galatians 5, verse 17, it says, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. The word there means the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, against the flesh. And these are contrary, look at that, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. So it tells us that if you're led of the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the, 
the lusts of the flesh. So the way for a Christian to, to live a spiritual life is to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide them. Now, if the Holy Spirit leads and guides you, you're going to be guided also by the Word of God because the Holy Spirit is sent to bear witness to the truth, the Word. You see, the Holy Spirit's not necessarily bearing witness to what men say. The Holy Spirit will always bear witness to the truth, to the Word of God. If you preach the Word of God and, and are plain and rightly divide the Word of truth, then what is the aid to the, to the individual that hears that Word? Uh, to help them to be illuminated and to understand and to give them that Word in their heart so that they receive it? The Holy Spirit is that divine teacher. And you see, I can stand up here all night and try to teach you. And when I teach you the truth, and when I teach you the Word, and lay it out here just as God's Word would have you to receive it, then there's something about that Word that the Holy Spirit bears witness to that truth. And then you receive it and you say, My, I, I accept that because it's the truth. Because God's Holy Spirit tells me it's the truth. It's not because Brother Joyce said it or Brother Randy said it or some other preacher said it. I think that's where people get uh, so far off. They say, just because so-and-so, they consider it like the Pope, you know, this law and gospel. In other words, it's God's Word, and it's not so. Uh, just because some great preacher said a certain thing doesn't necessarily make it so. We had a teacher in the seminary, Dr. Peter Conley. You've heard me refer to him many times, and, and he would teach in, uh, spiritual truth to us. We'd receive it because uh, he was a good teacher. And yet he said that when you read these various commentators, remember that they're commentators. They're just like the rest of us. They're just commentators. And uh, so... Sometimes we need to realize that how, how great a man's name is doesn't make the, the, the mean of necessity that everything he says is so. When I'm teaching in Sunday school class here on Sunday mornings, and I was teaching this morning, uh, kind of a different approach than most of the commentators. They either go to one extreme or the other on the sixth chapter of the book of uh, Hebrews. And yet I think I pointed out a a line of thought, and we will pursue it in our next lesson to show you that there is a, at least a third way of thinking of it instead of just two. People talk about saved and lost there. And when you get to the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews, you'll find out that there's a little, uh, there may be another way of looking at the whole uh, passage of Scripture, and it might relieve us of some of the controversy that has existed through the years. And I, as I said this morning, even though I believe there is another way of illustrating the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews, it doesn't mean that I'm alone in, in believing what I present either. But it means that there's maybe few and far between that see it another way. Because most of them take one side or the other. And yet there is a, a way that you can show what that teaching means, and we'll pursue it. We got right down into the crux of the, of the matter this morning in our Sunday school. We pick it up next Sunday. And talk about, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and the word of God and have uh, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. And so we dealt with that this morning. You know, we preachers get up and say, well, that, that pertains to a backslider. Well, if it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, then why are you calling the backslider to return? <laughs> and if it has to do with a person that's just mistaken if you apply it the other way, it has to do with a person that has uh, just made a false profession. Why are you asking him to be saved if it's impossible to renew him again to repentance? So there must be another meaning, right? And that's what we're dealing with. And that's where we are in our Sunday school lesson. Anyway, let's go on with this. 
So what we're talking about here, he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not uh, hence even of your lust that war in your members? And we're talking about a, a lustful uh, warfare that's going on in the hearts and lives of, of people. Now then in verse 2 it says, Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war. Yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Let's stop there for a moment. Notice in, in these two verses you have you lust, you have you kill, you fight, and you ask. Verses 2 and 3. Look at that again now. See the first statement? You lust. The next one? You kill. Then you fight. That's all in verse 2. Verse 3 says you ask. Doesn't mean that all asking it gets what it wants, right? Doesn't mean that all praying uh, gets a direct answer, a positive answer. And the reason being that you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. It seems that these two verses describe people that are never contented and never satisfied, right? It says you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have. Look at that. Desire to have. Look at, look at the other phrases here. Have not. Desire to have. Cannot obtain. You have not. All in verse 2. Opposite of those words you lust and you kill and you fight. Opposite of that you have have not, desire to have, cannot obtain, and yet you have not. Four times it states what people do not have that they're trying to obtain. Never satisfied. You take a fellow uh, gets a little money, he wants more money. Gets a few possessions, he wants more possessions. He gets one thing and he wants something else. He enjoys sinful pleasures and he wants more sinful pleasures. Never satisfied. And that's, see, the motivation and the desire is in the, absolutely the wrong direction. You take a person that says, the first thing I want to do is to do the will of God, and then whatever he gives me in life, I'll learn to be thankful for it. And brother, if you get that attitude, you're going to be happy. If you get that attitude, and you can have little or, or a whole lot and still be happy. But if you get the idea, I've just got to have more. And I'm going to do this and break my neck. To... I had one, there's one in a distant relative in the family that, oh, he was just going to be a millionaire the time he's 40 years old. Well, I can tell you, he's not very well off today. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if that's your desire, you're going to be disappointed, friend. If you'll say, as God blesses my life, I'll, I'll appreciate what he gives me and the blessings of life, the provisions of life, God will see to it that you have enough. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. And it's talking about the necessities, the clothing, the food, the provisions. He says, Shall be added unto you. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. See? They want them. They seek them. Fits in right here. You have not and desire to have that desire to have and cannot obtain is a thing that causes people problems. You know, there's more... People that are money-grabbing today, just give me anything I can get, any way I can get it. They don't care who they step on as they go along the road. Now listen, I, if I want something, I want to get it honest. I don't want to cheat somebody out of it. And you know, if you go about it in the right way, God will bless your life. And He'll give you all you need. He'll give you everything you need. doesn't mean you can't use common sense in your trading and in your business and in your dealings with people. Sure, he wants you to use common sense. And it's not wise to buy something for $10 and, and sell it for 5 is it? That's not very good business. But if you buy it for 10 and sell it for 12 that's you made $2. That's honest. Or 15 you made $5. There's nothing wrong with that. 
There's nothing wrong with making a profit out of what you do. There's no, nothing wrong with honest trading. In fact, the old time way of dealing was bartering mostly. And the person had food over here and the other one had a tool over here. And he said, well, I need the food. And he said, I need the tool. They traded. And both of them got the good, good part of the deal, didn't they? One of them wanted the tools. The other one wanted the food or whatever. So there used to be the way of dealing with those kinds of things. And still no one was had to be crooked in it. But, you know, it creeps in, especially when people want to get more than, than they have coming. And God abhors that kind of dealing. So when you look at this, it says you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Then it says, you know, he's talking about asking. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Now, even in prayer, we have to be careful. Even as Christians, we have to be careful, careful in our prayers. Sometimes we pray just for our own sake. You know, I was praying tonight before I came up to teach this lesson. I said, Lord, I know that unless you give me the presence and guidance and anointing of your Holy Spirit, that the people will not be blessed. And even in that kind of prayer, you have, if you're not careful, you'll have a tendency to be selfish and say, you just want the presence of the Holy Spirit for your own uh, well-being. Well, there's a certain satisfaction and reward comes from being able to have the presence of God in your teaching and preaching. But if your desire is just to have the presence of God for yourself, then you have the wrong attitude. I want to have God's presence and power to preach and to teach in order that it will be effectual, in order that you may receive it. And I know unless I have that, you cannot receive it. But on the other hand, there are certain side benefits from it. God blesses me with the same, with, uh, with the same anointing and the same blessing as I am teaching it. But if I just pray for the purpose of my own blessing, not, not caring about whether or not you got the message or not, that would be selfish and I probably wouldn't have the blessings of God. But uh, if you approach Him in the right way, you will receive God's blessings. So it says, You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. And you see, our own desires, our own selfishness can enter the picture more easily than we sometimes think. In Psalm 66, verse 18, I want you to look at this verse. Psalms 66 and verse 18, it says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, hear me. See that? People ask, and they ask at the same time, and they have inward sin. So sometimes we wonder why our prayer is not answered. Well, what, what do we have in our hearts? It doesn't mean this is the only reason for him not answering. We've already pointed out that James says there's one way. If you ask it for yourself, if you ask selfishly, then God's not going to give it to you, right? You ask and you ask amiss that you may receive it upon your own lust, that you may have it for your own benefit. And here he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Let me give you another reference. Uh, in the book of, uh, let's see if I can find it, in the book of uh, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter uh, 28 and verse 9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, that is God's word, you turn your, away your ear from hearing God's word, even his prayer shall be abomination. Think of that for a moment. If you say, well, I want God to answer my prayer, but now God says, He's got some specific things for you to follow and you haven't followed and are not willing for him to tell you again that you need to follow in obedience to his word. And you turn away your ear from hearing the law. The Bible says your prayer is an abomination. See that? If you won't hear God's word. It's just like, you know, the fellow praying for forgiveness. 
uh, Jesus pointed out, He says, if we say uh, uh, to our brother, forgive us our trespasses, and if we want uh, forgiveness from God, we say to God, forgive us of our trespasses, and we're not willing to forgive our brother, well, then He says, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. But it doesn't mean you haven't prayed. You prayed for forgiveness, but you didn't get it. Why? Because you were not forgiving. You see, you've got to meet the obedience to God's Word in order to, to uh, have the blessings and have the answer from God. And that's where a lot of people get uh, in the wrong... Uh, you know, they say, I prayed for something and God didn't give it to me. Well, you better check up on what you prayed for and see if it was the right thing to pray for. Now, you know, there is such a thing as praying in the will of God. John says, if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And we know that if He hear us, we have the petitions that we desire of Him. And we better check up sometimes and see if we're asking something for our own selfish interest and for our own use. And then we'll find out whether or not it was the right kind of prayer. Back now in James chapter 4. Ye ask, verse 3, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Who's he talking to? Still talking to Christian people. You say, well, how can that be? God spoke to the children of Israel of old, and he says, you have gone after, my people have left me and gone after idolatry. In the book of Hosea, let me see if I can find it. The book of Hosea, chapter uh, 3, and verse, uh, verse 12 says, my people, my people. God says, my people ask counsel at their stocks. In other words, this is idolatrous worship, and their staff declareth unto them, for the spirit of whoredoms has caused them to err, and they have gone a-whoring from under their God. In other words, they, had, they were like adulterers and adulteresses, right? That's what James is talking about. He's talking about in the New Testament, a, a Christian that has joined himself to the world, is, and, and gone back to the world, and seeking uh, his pleasures and benefits from the world, is the same as if a woman or a man were uh, a husband and wife were untrue to each other, one or the other. They were untrue. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses. So he uses both, doesn't he? So it would apply both to husband and wife. It would apply as a Christian goes and seeks from the world, worldly pleasures and things of the world. He's just departing. It's like he's deserting God and departing from God and untrue to God. And he says, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? When he says friendship with the world, what does he mean about the world? Is the world, we certainly know it's not this earth that he's talking about because we are, we're friendly with this earth. We love this earth. We get water and food and shelter. We get the trees and the green grass and we have the, the fruit of the trees and this earth and the sun, even the, the uh, universe as far as the sun and the moon and the stars. The benefits that, are, uh, that come to this planet Earth are from God, aren't they? The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God in the firmament show of His handiwork. So he's not talking about the material world, is he? He's not talking about this world of, of humanity because we know that we're to love humanity. And we love the brethren especially and we love the lost because they need to be saved. And we certainly should sympathize and care for our fellow man. So he's not talking about the world of humanity. He's talking about the world system of things that would cause you to depart from God and depart from Christ to seek pleasures in its system instead of under the things of God. So what he's talking about is, is Christians that are backslidden and away from God, right? You adulterers and adulteresses. Now, if you were to tell some uh, backslidden Christian, some person that's seeking pleasures, let's put this right where it belongs now, tonight. 
If you were to tell some person that professed to be a Christian, maybe even a member of the church, or even a member of this church, that seeking their pleasures and their benefits and all their joys and their attention is over here in the world, if you were to tell them that God classifies them as an adulterer or an adulteress, they would be shocked. They would be shocked. And yet that is the truth of the matter as far as the scriptural application is concerned. 